you about the eternal son. Uh, we've been talking about Christmas and uh, what makes Christmas special. And we need to say here at the outset that um, there is no Christmas without Christ. This whole idea that we can have Christmas without Jesus Christ, it's an impossibility. It's not only a no-no. You know, people say, well, well, we've got to make sure we keep Christ in Christmas. That's true, but we've got to understand there, there is no Christmas without Christ. It's not even possible. It's like saying it's possible to have a sunset without a sun. It's not possible. It's like saying that there's going to be a cookie exchange with no cookies. It's not possible. You go to a cookie exchange, you want cookies. It's like saying there's going to be a children's birthday party without the birthday child. It's not possible. By the way, the other day I was uh, walking and, or driving actually with Rick. We were in uh, downtown Wilkes-Barre and I said that it was nice to see they had a nativity scene set up for, for Christ. And it's amazing. It's, they still have these things uh, that they're still even allowed in our day and age. But they also had uh, up an atheist display. At least that's what I heard. The only problem was I, I couldn't see it because it wasn't there. So kind of difficult to see it when it's not there. But to, but to think that we're going to have uh, Christmas without Christ, it's just not, it's just not possible. And it's uh, really unthinkable. And so we talked about different things that ruined the Christmas spirit last week. One of the things that we said that ruined the Christmas spirit is evolution. You believe in evolution, it's really going to damper the Christmas spirit. You believe that we have descended from apes and that we're all just talking monkeys here in this church. It's really going to put a whole cloud, like a cloud over Eeyore, it's going to put a cloud over Christmas. It's just not going to work out that well. But it's also going to ruin Christmas if we play the make-believe game. That will also put a major damper on Christmas when we have this game where we make-believe who God is. Where we have this idea of God, but he's not well-defined. We say he's out there in this unthinkable notion of we can talk about God without even understanding who he is, his identity. But it's amazing how many people have thoughts about God. Oh, God is some kind of force out there. God is a good God who just will welcome everybody into heaven. He's just going to welcome everyone in. As long as you are a person here on this earth and you happen to die, well, you're going to go ahead and make it in because God is such a God of, of love. This nebulous God, he's just kind of out there. People ignore him. It's really this whole idea of make-believe. Listen, we're not into that in this church. If God is just some kind of idea that's out there that we're all just clinging to, 
or we're trying to make a God in our own image and set him up and then worship whatever God we make him out to be. That's no God at all. Why are we even here? In fact, this was exactly the problem. If you turn over to 1 Kings chapter 18, this was the problem with uh, the worshipers of Baal. They were making up God. They were making a God that was not actually there. Then they were worshiping this imaginary God. Wouldn't that be a horrible thing? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but can you imagine? We come into this room, this empty room. We're all worshiping, raising hands, closing eyes, singing out songs, listening to the Bible being preached, and God is not even there. You want to talk about make-believe. You want to talk about the ultimate fairy tale. That's not why we're here. And yet so many people do that. They make up gods. What kind of God is that where we make up a God? Will you tell me what God is like? Well, I'll tell you what God is like based upon my own experience. But why should we listen to that? So we are incredibly smart and incredibly clever at making up gods in our own heads. We say, well, at least we don't worship. We don't worship uh, statues anymore. We, we don't worship these little physical things that we actually make. We, no one here burned incense to a little golden statue this morning before they came to church. And yet the issue is we make up gods in our own mind. They're the result of our own imagination. And then we think that we're going to go into Christmas and have and enjoy the Christmas spirit with this, this fake God who's really an idol. It's idolatry. It's just modern-day idolatry. And that's not what Christmas is about, but if that's how we think, if we don't understand who God really is, then it's really going to ruin Christmas. And this is what we see in 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah is mocking the prophets of Baal, and he says in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 27, And at noon Elijah mocked them, crying aloud, For he is a God. Maybe he's musing, or Elijah goes on, perhaps he is relieving himself. They are circling this altar, cutting themselves, trying to get this fake, fictitious God to answer them. And Elijah is mocking and saying, well, maybe he's in the bathroom. Is that the kind of God we want? A God that we're just crying out to, crying out to? He's not even listening. He's not even there. It's just a God of our own making. That's exactly what is going on here in this text. Nobody's listening. There is no God that they are crying out to. That God doesn't even exist. And so Elijah's standing there we're going, well, maybe he's musing. Maybe he is relieving himself or perhaps he's on a journey. Maybe that's why he's not answering you. Or maybe he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Verse 29, and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, listen to this, but there was no voice, no one answered, 
No one paid attention. That's a sad state of affairs. And so if this is the kind of God that we have, it's no God at all. What we need is a God who has, listen, we need a God who has life in himself. We need a God who is so powerful and so mighty, doesn't need anybody or anything, that he can actually introduce himself to us. This whole notion of people searching after God and seeking after God and all these people on this religious journey just looking for God. You see it on TV, you see it on the internet, people on a spiritual journey to find God. And yet they're not finding anything. In fact, the Bible says that no one actually seeks God. There's no one in this room who actually was born with the inclination to seek God. There's not one. Nobody is on a true spiritual journey in and of themselves by their own sin nature on a journey for God. And so what we don't need is we don't need a makeup God. That's not what we need. Listen, when we get on our knees, we're praying to a God who's listening Who's, who's hearing us and who's interacting with us. That's the kind of God we need. We need a God who's so powerful that he says, I love you and I created you in my image, but I don't need you to exist. My existence as God is not dependent upon your existence. Once you die, man or woman, the existence of that God goes out of existence. That's not the kind of God we need. We need the kind of God who's majestic, and eternal. And while we were yet sinners not looking for God, we need a God so powerful that he can invade our lives. He can say, he can say this, he can say, I know exactly what you're going through. You ever look for a God like that? You ever think about that? If God would only listen to me, he's listening. That's the kind of God we need. This changes our whole way we pray. It's not just praying going, well, God, if you're out there, I hope I can kind of create a God that will listen to me out there. No, no. We need a God who has created us, who when we cry out to him, we are crying out to this all-powerful, majestic God. This God who has life. The doctrine is called a saity. Life in himself. Eternal. We need a God that can knock on the door and say, let me introduce myself to you. You didn't know I was here the whole time. You had a sense because Romans chapter 1 says everybody knows there's a God, but you didn't know the particulars of this whole thing. And he's so powerful and he's so righteous. And he has so much might that he can invade our life when we're least thinking about it. He just shows up. Hi, I'm God. Let me introduce myself. And so we're no longer going, well, I think God is like this. Or um, perhaps this person, this, this person has a pretty good definition of God. Listen, if God comes and defines himself, then all other definitions go out the window. All other definitions must cease. When God defines himself, we say, this is God. This is the only God. This is the true God. This is the righteous God. 
And by the way, if you're a little bit going, well, I don't know, maybe there are some people who seek God. Maybe there are some. Well, there are some who seek God, but there's a reason why. But in our own nature, we don't. And so you go, well, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. In our own nature, you mean we're not born seeking God? No. In fact, if you go over to Romans 3, let me show this to you in Scripture. Romans chapter 3. Romans, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. So the Bible says there's, there's no good person on earth. The, the myth of good people versus bad people. And by the way, this is, uh, this is the message of grace. There's not a good person in this room. So it's not good church people versus the bad person who walked in the door. There's no such thing. It's not the good moral people versus the people in jail. They're the bad people. It's not um, good moral upstanding people versus really bad sinners over in the Middle East somewhere. They're the really bad people. The Bible says this, all have sinned. And every time we hear about somebody falling or somebody doing something that is wrong, we should say in our own hearts, we should say, Lord Jesus, it's only by your grace that I stand. Lord, the only reason that I have not fallen into that thing is not because of my own righteousness, but it's because of your grace in my life. And I thank you. I thank you, Lord. Do you thank him? I thank you, Lord. Thank you for invading my life. Thank you, for, thank you for being powerful enough to introduce yourself to me. I was lost. All these definitions of God that were just man-made definitions, people on spiritual journeys for God that led absolutely nowhere. And you, here you are, God. You're the God that comes in and says, I'm here, I'm alive, and I'm here to make you whole. I'm here to feed into your life. I'm here to answer your prayers. I love you. I love you. You know God loves you? He loves you. The real God in heaven who's alive loves you. Never forget um, walking uh, through work one time, and all of a sudden, I was just talking with the Lord, and all of a sudden, just this impression on my heart. Jacob, I love you. That's God. And he loves you. And his, his grace is here, and he is calling out to you today. This is a biblical, true God who has authority and majesty in himself. Okay, so let's keep reading Romans chapter 3. So it says there's none righteous, no, not one. 
There's no one who understands. Here it is, verse 11. He can't get more clear than this. There is no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, that those are snakes, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are shift to, swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So we need a God who can introduce himself. And that's exactly what he does in John chapter 1. So let's go back to John 1. This is our text here, John chapter 1. He comes and he introduces himself. And so what we need to understand the nature of God and his identity in particular is we can never scrape our way up to God and define him. So what God has done by special revelation, that's the revelation we find in the Bible, is he has come down and he has invaded our territory and he has come into his own universe and he has revealed to us who he is. He has given definition to himself and he tells us who his identity is in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word we said, this is the Son of God, this is the eternal Son of God who had no beginning and no end. He was with God, so the Son, the word, was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, so this is his identity. The identity of God is Jesus. If you want to know who God is, you've got to know the Son, And the Son is fully God. So there's no other definition. You cannot get outside of this triune God. There's only one God. There's only one truth. And he exists as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all three persons of this Trinity are fully God. So this isn't like where you have a circle, a pie, if it divided up into three slices and you have the the father is a third of God. No, no, no. The father, listen, is fully God. Fully. You say, well, how does this make sense? One, One God and three persons, this is the mystery. This is what has been revealed in scripture. And we say, yes, Lord, bring it on. This is this is what you have in your word. We don't fully comprehend how this works. Beyond us, but we know it's true. So there's one God. There's one Father who is fully God. There is one Son who is fully God. So he's not not a third of God. He's He's not a piece of God, but he's fully God. And then there's the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is fully God. Now, if we don't get this, this is the identity of God. This is God saying, this is this is who I am. If we don't get the identity of God, we won't get Christmas and we won't have any Christmas spirit, maybe just coal. This is God. Remember a a guy who uh, walked into a church and he was telling me this later. He was listening. Everything seemed okay. There was singing. Then they get to the preaching 
And he's listening, but he said the whole time something just seemed off. And finally they get to this, this teaching, and the guy begins to teach and preach. And he says something to the effect of, and we all know that Jesus was Michael the archangel. Red flag. Listen, that's heresy. He immediately said, I knew exactly why I was feeling off the whole time. Because Jesus, the Son of God, as the Son, was never created. He is the uncreated, eternal creator. This is who he is. So if we're trying to figure out who is God, we need to start with Jesus. Jesus is the expression of God. We want to know how God expresses himself at his highest point in the beginning was the word, this expression of God. How do we express ourselves? We express ourselves with words. How does God most majestically and at the pinnacle of his expression of who he is, how does he do that? He reveals to us the son. And so we have one God and we have three persons who are each fully God. Now, Wayne Grudem says it like this. This is uh, beautiful. He says this, the son possesses the whole being of God. The son possesses the whole being of God himself, as does the father. So the father possesses the whole being of God. And the Holy Spirit possesses the whole being of God. He goes on to say this, when we speak of the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit together, we are not speaking of any greater being so when we're talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together, we're not speaking of any greater being than when we speak of the Father alone. So it's not like, well, you got God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a really big being. And then if you take God the Father over here, that's a smaller being. No, no, that's not what we're saying. We're saying all of the being of God exists in the Father. All of the being of God exists in the Son, and all of the being of God exists in the Holy Spirit. He finishes by saying this, the father is all of God's being. The son is all of God's being. The Holy Spirit is all of God's being. So when we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about somebody who's kind of like God. When we want to know who God is, we need to start with Jesus. And when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about his identity. And we are talking about one who is completely and fully God. And so this one who was fully God and who was with God the Father for all of eternity, at one point steps out of heaven 2,000 years ago, this son, he steps out of heaven and he comes to this earth in a virgin in the form of man. He leaves the majesty of heaven, this only son, this unique son. He leaves the majesty of heaven, the glory of heaven, and he comes down to this earth for a very specific purpose. So if we're going to understand Christmas, we've got to start with Jesus. Now, if you flip with me uh, to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 5 and 7. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, says this. Have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, here it is, he's in the form of God. He is God of very God, light of very light. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So this does not mean that he laid down his divinity. He never laid down his divinity, but he laid aside the rights and the privileges of heaven. He did not count himself, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But verse 7 but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. So this is his identity. To know the eternal son, we have to know who he is, and he is fully God. Now, if you go back with me to John chapter 1, he not only gives us his identity, but he also gives us his profile. It says this in um, John 1, verse Three gives us his work, his being, and his power. Verses 3 through 5. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So what is this saying? That Jesus, the Son of God, is fully God, and he was with the Father, this one God, and yet the Son is also the creator. He created everything. So when we talk about the Son coming down to earth, we're talking about somebody who is extremely unique. He's the only one like this. He's the unique Son, and he's the creator. So when our kids begin to ask us, who made the Son? We don't just say God. We can say God, and that's the right answer. That's okay. There's nothing wrong. We don't say, no, don't say God. Of course God made the, the sun. We say, um, who made the earth, Dad? Who, who, made the, who made the whole world, Mom? Who made, who made me? Who was it who made me? How did I come into existence? This is God's voice. This is him introducing himself to us. So he comes and he says, this is who I am. You ever wonder about who God is? This is God, the triune God, the son, fully God. But now it tells us something unique that we can actually look at this world around us and we can even get more specific than just saying God. And that's right. But we can actually look at the son and we can say, honey, Jesus made the son. He made the son? Yeah, he also made the world. He made everything around us. Jesus made the world. Yeah. And he also made you. He formed you in your mommy's stomach when you were just very tiny, itsy bitsy. He made you. Jesus made everything. You mean Jesus made everything? You mean when Jesus came down, he left the majesty of heaven? And when we actually, when people were actually looking into his face, they were actually looking into their own creator's face. That's, that's incredible. So when they're looking at Jesus, they're looking at the one who made them. Yeah, the son made them, and the son has made you. Colossians chapter 1, you say, well, where is this? Is this anywhere else in the Bible? Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Colossians chapter 1. Go back to verse 15 with me, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. 
Speaking of Christ, he is the image, that's Jesus, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Who's the, who's the firstborn of all creation? That's the Son. Here it is. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. And for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the creator. But he's not only the creator, he's the one who has life. He has life in his very being. Listen, we have life, but it has originated from somewhere else. We live here for a while in this world, and there are are people who think that uh, they're going to just live on and on and uh, life is just going to continue to go on and you put up a nice uh, savings plan and life is kind of just, uh, that's the way it goes. You're going to hit 60 and 70 and hopefully you'll live a few more years than that. Maybe you hit 80, 90. And if you're really blessed and uh, good health, you'll even go on uh, beyond there. But eventually our life comes to an end. Uh, today, that later this afternoon, uh, I'm going to be going and uh, conducting a memorial service for a man who came to this church. He used to uh, attend the, uh, the, the gospel rescue mission. And he would come here and uh, wasn't super old, 63 years old. But he's here and he's gone. So we have life for a while here, but our, our heart is we want to we continue to live. We want to be happy. You know, we, we say about a person, if they live till they're 85, 90 years old or 95, we say, oh, they lived a, they lived a good life. Like, it's, it's okay to die now. We've become so accustomed to it. But you, you talk to somebody who's 85 or 90, they want happiness still. And, when they, and when, they, when they go, we still mourn over them. You, you, lose a, you lose a grandfather, you lose a grandmother who's lived a long time. We don't just say, well, that's okay. They lived a great life, so big deal. That's, that, I mean, can you imagine how heartless? No, we grieve. And so we're looking for life. And the problem is people are looking for life in all the wrong places. They think if they have all the, all the different things, if they just fill their life up, fill their life up, fill their life up with more and more stuff. And it might not even just be material stuff. It might just be doing stuff. Just do more stuff. You can never just, just, just think and just have conversations with people and enjoy life. Always doing stuff and accumulating more stuff and running more places. Before we know it, we look back, oh my goodness, where did all the years go? We've just been running and running and running and running and running. But the desire is for, for life. And so what we want is really we want to live forever. But then you begin to tell people, listen, if you die and you know Jesus, you get to go to heaven and you're like this ghost forever and you're in this church service like forever. 
you're like, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's really where I want to go. Until you find out that we go to be with Jesus, but that someday he's going to recreate this whole world. And we're going to be raised with physical bodies and eat real food and have real relationships and be touchable and, and be able to interact with each other and no more crying and no more death and no more pain, no more relationship problems and no more sickness and no more disease and all these different things. And then life begins to look really appealing. We say, I could go for that kind of life. And this is the announcement. This is what John is doing here in this text. Is he's announcing who God is. We've been in the dark this whole time. We've gone, we know there's something out there. We've been trying to define who God is. But we're like the prophets of Baal, wearing ourselves out. And John comes along and he says, this is who God is. First John chapter 1, he says, this is what we proclaim. This is what we announce to you. We're giving you the announcement of who God is. And this wonderful God has life in himself. No one, no one gave the son life. Ultimately, the, the son has always had life. The father has always had life. The Holy Spirit has always had life. This is what it says here in John chapter 1. In him was life. In him was life. And the light was the light of man. That's hope. You want, you want hope today? You, you want to live forever? You want to know what real hope is? It's life. And the Bible is saying out of Jesus, out of the Son, comes this torrent of life. He's the originator of life. He's the one who has life. He's the one who contains life. He's the one who imparts life. This is life. And to not know him is to be dead. Somebody was asking about how heavy sin was and the, 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 how heavy the weight of sin was. The preacher said, well, you'll never feel the weight of sin until you understand that you're dead in sin. Because dead people don't feel it. Dead people don't understand this. Dead people, dead people in their spirits hear this announcement. It doesn't, doesn't really mean anything. But this is God. This is the one who imparts life. John chapter 5, if you flip with me there, John chapter 5, verse uh, 26. Listen to this. Uh, go back once again, please, to verse 25. John, John chapter 5, just a few chapters over. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. So they're going to hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. This is what John is telling us here, even in the beginning of the chapter, that in him was life, and the light was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness. This is power. So here comes Jesus, this light. He's the light of the world. And he descends into this dark world, this dark world of sin, where his own creation doesn't recognize him, doesn't know him, doesn't appreciate him. Here is God announcing this is who God is. It's his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is fully God. This announcement is made and people go, 
yeah, I guess so. I guess it's kind of interesting. Okay, Jesus is God. I guess that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's something to think about. The creator of the universe, creating everything, steps into his world in this darkness of sin. There's sin everywhere. Oh, the depths of sin. Sin is, sin is awful, but it's so tempting. And so we have bitten the fruit, and we have taken the poison, and we continue to take the poison. Even when we're offered life, we, can, we continue to go back to the poison. I, I shared this with you, but last January when I was flying over Siberia and then down into Thailand, on the plane, there was such darkness. And I, I don't mean just looking out the window and seeing the, the blackness of night. But it was a spiritual darkness in, in the plane. And then to find out that there were men flying from all over the Western world to go into Thailand to use little girls who were sex slaves and all sorts of uh, deviant sexual practices and homosexual activity that is, just runs rampant. I remember I was sitting in the, the, the airport as we were coming back home, and we were in, I believe it was still, we were in Bangkok. And I was sitting across from these guy, two guys who were very evidently homosexual. And the sadness in the one guy's eyes, I'd never forget, it just, it just looked so sad. So we, we have, we have, we have, we've partaken, we have partaken of the fruit we've, We've bitten into sin, and sin, listen, sin takes us places where we, where we never intended to go. It looks so good, and then we get in, and all of a sudden we find out this isn't life, this is darkness. And it's so powerful, and it's so pervasive, and it's everywhere. And who is, who is going to come into this world and deliver us from this dominion of darkness who has the power? And what John 1 is saying is that Jesus Christ, the light, has come into the darkness, and the darkness doesn't have more power than the light. The darkness has not overcome it. He is more powerful than the darkness. In him was light, and that light was the life of man. So he is the one who has life. He is the one who gives light. Now notice what it says here. There was a man, verse 6, uh, sent from God, his name was John. He comes as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So this is very clear. John the Baptist here is not the light, but he comes to bear witness about the light. Verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. So who is this one who is coming into this world? This is the Son of God who comes out of glory, who steps down into his own creation. He is the light of the world. He is the hope of the world. He's the only hope of the world. And yet no one recognizes him. So here he steps down into his own creation, and you think there would be a parade and a welcome, welcome Son of God banners all over the place and welcome Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. But no parade, no, uh, no Facebook people posting, hey, the Son of God has arrived. Here he is, the, the Son of God comes to his own creation, born. 
in, tucked away in unknown places in Bethlehem. So he comes, and you would think that everybody would recognize him. But he comes, verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into, into the world. Verse 11, skip down to verse 11, but he came to his own. And his own people, that is the Jewish people, the Israelites. So he comes, first of all, he comes to the world, that is humanity. Humanity doesn't recognize him, but even worse than that, his own people. All, all of the prophecies, all of the Old Testament, all 39 books of the Old Testament are about Jesus. They're all pointing to his first coming. So you go from Genesis to Malachi and all of these books are pointing to the fact that the Son of God is coming. The Son of God is coming. And finally, when he comes, his own people, the Israelites, they don't receive him. So he would say over and over again, he would preach. He had this gospel of, uh, of repentance. He would say, repent and believe. And the Bible says his own people said, no thanks. They wanted a political hero, and he wasn't fulfilling their wishes, and he wasn't fulfilling their expectations. And as a result of that, they just continued to reject him and reject him and reject him. And finally, in concert with the Romans, they managed to crucify the Lord of glory. So his own people, this is rather unmajestic when you think about it, the way he comes into the world, and yet there's such a beauty and such a majesty for those who have eyes to see. Here he is born of a virgin. Mary is just pondering all these things in her heart, never known a man. She's pregnant. Her husband-to-be uh, is thinking about putting her away, divorcing her, but he doesn't want to embarrass her. Miracle of all miracles, Christ born in a stable and here we are 2,000 years later witnessing his majesty. So he comes to his own people, and his own people do not receive him. But notice what, notice what he came to do. And this is about receiving him. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he, he gave the right to become the children of God. So listen, I'm going to close with this. Listen, listen carefully. To all who believed in him, to all who said, Jesus, I have come to an end of myself. I'm tired. He says, come unto me, those of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So he comes, and he's preaching, he's preaching, he's preaching the same gospel that's going out today. Believe, repent of your sins, trust in Jesus. Sin is a big deal, but Christ is a greater Savior. Christ loves you. Christ has come to give his life for you. He is life, and he is light. And so to as many people as receive him, to as many people who have open mouths and say, feed me the bread of life, to as many people who say, I need a drink, I'm so spiritually thirsty, so thirsty, 
I need a God, as we said, I need a God who can introduce himself to me. I don't need anything fake. I don't want any fake thing. I don't want to have a fake Christmas and a, a fake God and a fake celebration. I don't want it to be fake. I want it to be real. I need a God who's powerful enough to invade this world, create this world, come into his own creation, introduce himself to me, rescue me out of, out of sin. And he says, anyone who believes, I mean, that's it? That's all you have to do? Don't you have to do stuff? No, no. You just come and you repent and you believe. And that calls for you. So we come and we say, we say, Lord Jesus, I believe on you. I see the majesty. This is why we're going to sing in just a moment. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I thought it's interesting. We're singing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, this morning. Most of our eyes are closed, right? Because it's not about physical eyes. We're saying, open, open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart. Lord, I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to, I want to get this. Lord, I, I sent you introducing yourself to me. Now, the question is, who is the one who comes? So is it just this really smart people who really get this? They're sitting, they're sitting in church here and they're, they're just really smart. Is it the really good people who get this? It's, is that the, the kind of people that receive him? What is it that causes somebody to receive him? Why is it that somebody is sitting in a message like this, listening, and their heart is being stirred, and they're saying, yeah, that's what I want. I want that. Where does that want to come from? So the question isn't just, did they make the decision? The Bible says they need to receive, they need to repent and believe. But is it because of genetics? Is it because of they're a Jew or they're a Gentile? Is it because they're black or because they're white? Is it because they're old or young? Is it because they're short or tall? Is, it, is that why? Is it because they've had a hard life? So the Bible says they must come and receive. But then it digs down deeper. It says why the person receives. Now that's interesting. So what we're saying here is there could be, it's possible, Somebody's sitting here and they're going, this, this is really boring. And um, let's get out of here. And somebody else is sitting here. They're going, this is exactly what I need. I've, I've been looking for life in all the wrong places. I thought I've been seeking God. But Romans 3 says, I haven't been seeking God. So the question is, what is it that gives that person that drive or that want to, to say, I want that. Because the call goes out to everybody here. If you want Jesus, come. Listen, he won't deny you. If you want him, come. He says, come, and he welcomes you with open arms. But notice what he says, the why of the want to. And we end with this, verse 13. Who were born, so those who receive him become children of God. Who were born... Not of blood, so you're not a Christian because of the blood that you have, the genetic lines that you come from, nor of the will of the flesh. Now, isn't that interesting? I'm going to just really want it. I'm going to just really want it. Where does the want to come from? Nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the one who is receiving Jesus, what John says here is they are the ones who have been made alive. They've been born. 
Now let me ask you a question today. What, what did you do to get born the first time? What choice did you make to get born? Answer, nothing. What do you do to get born the second time? Answer, nothing. Listen, here's what happens. We're listening to the word of God, and God the Holy Spirit is pricking our heart, he's stirring our heart, and he's taking us from that person who is dead and feels no weight of sin to all of a sudden coming alive. First Peter says he made you alive. He made you alive. So you were dead in sin, Ephesians chapter 2. All of a sudden, just like John chapter 11, he speaks into the grave with Lazarus, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And so somebody's sitting here, and they're listening to the gospel, and they're saying, that's what I want. I, I want that. That's what I'm looking for. Why? Why do they want that? It's because of the work of God causing them to come alive. And the first thing that a baby does, a healthy baby, when they come out, is they cry. Listen, the first cry of a born-again uh, person is faith. So the person is alive unto God, and the first thing that they do is they say, God, I want you. I receive you to be my Lord and Savior. I want that. I want that. To as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Then he closes with this. And the word became flesh, John chapter 1, verse 14, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? I could ask the band to come and prepare to sing, open the eyes of my heart. Lord, we just thank you today for your power. We thank you for the way that you work in our hearts. Lord, I pray if there's one here today, they, they sense that stirring from you. They've heard the call of God. To, it's gone forward. They say, I need, I need Jesus today. I, I have, uh, I've been in church or I've, I've done uh, different religious things, but I've never known God. If you're that person, you've never come to Christ. And today is the day you're saying, I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Not, not for the 10th time. This isn't re rededication time. But this is for the first time you say, I need Jesus Christ to come and to save me from my sins. I want to receive him. I want to become his child. Would you raise your hand? You say, that's me. I need Jesus. Is there anyone else? I need Jesus today. I need Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can I call you forward? Would you come forward? Thank you. Thank you. I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm so glad you're here today. What's your name? Amanda. 